uh, have you had a have you covered uh, price properly in in the pod no, before? No, I don't think so. Have I done my take on on the Fun Palace? No, we should do that. Yeah, at some point. Yeah. Anyway, funny thing as a f uh, about the Fun Palace, it we it didn't it didn't not get built because uh, paternalistic government didn't like it. It all government was totally down to build it. Everything was ready to go. And only at the end of the process, when everything was ready to go, this FedEx price decided to go and consult the local population of the place where it was supposed to be built on if they liked it or not. And it was the local population that said, this is bullshit, go away. <laughs> because they rightly felt that that was probably a sort of proto-gentrification thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. Um, <clears throat> we should just do an episode sometime on like proto-gentrifiers of the 60s and 70s. Yeah. All right. Welcome to Street Sweeper. Hi, everybody. I'm Will. I'm Ricardo. Today, uh, as promised, we're going to be talking about the February issue of Architectural Review called Labor. We are a month late, but that's okay. We shall have, like, how do they say, like, revenge is the dish best served that's cold. cold. <laughs> <laughs> so those hack frauds at AR... <laughs> Who stole our broom? Stole image. our broom branding, <laughs> and it shall not. Uh, <laughs> shall go not go. This this affront shall not go unanswered. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on the social medias, it was just like people saying, "Take them to court," <laughs> 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 and stuff like that. Yes. So. Um, yeah, in yes, case any just just to clarify this point, in case anybody hasn't seen it, the cover of this issue features a giant person uh, sweeping the streets with a giant red broom. Yes, which looks suspiciously familiar to us <laughs> <laughs> as a motif. Apparently, that that piece of art had been made uh, like some time ago. Uh, but yes, before uh, we started the podcast. But it's still it's sussy. Still, still sussy. Yeah, a little convenient. It's a French artist. Um, so today we shall have our revenge on this issue and uh, AR as a whole. <laughs> it's not the first time we do an, uh, an episode on AR. Like yeah, we covered... Our very first start, we covered one yeah. AR issue. On the COVID yeah. uh, inside yeah, episode. Yeah, the inside, yes. Yeah. So we're going to talk through uh, a few... Not We're not going to go through the whole thing, obviously, in, in all its minutiae. No. But uh, we've got some some highlights to talk about, mm -hmm. uh, some key texts. Uh, we can begin with kind of a overall characterization and then go into some detail. Yeah. Um, I mean, the overall, we, we talk about revenge, but my overall take uh, is that this issue is pretty decent. Yeah, I agree. Overall, uh, most stuff is pretty, pretty okay. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good. Especially like... In context, like this is not a uh, an historical materialist journal. This no. is not a yeah. political journal. Yeah. Um, 
so for an architectural journal, it's it's pretty great to read consistently. Yeah. Uh, discussion of unionization and its necessity, mm-hmm. uh, understanding architectural production uh, in terms of labor and class, although class is not that systematically no. discussed, which we'll go into, no. I guess. And in fact, even like the concept of labor when it's discussed in concrete terms, like in political economic terms, it's 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 fairly vague, fairly vague and complex, complicated. Even even the text about Marx mm-hmm. uh, doesn't really <laughs> talk about labor. It's quite interesting. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, I'm. There, there's still some stuff that we'll have quite a bit of fun with. Uh, I was assigned to doing most of the uh, reading of uh, texts focused on like actual architecture, so I'm I'm going to have the more uh, <laughs> dump material. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I would say in general, uh, I'm relatively happy with it. Yeah. Um, so take that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, I my I say like the 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 issue is essentially divided into three types of texts, the way I read it. Right. Uh, There's material on labor in architecture, like architects who are workers, how how labor exists within the profession. There's texts on how architecture is determined by labor, Mm. labor conditions. Not of the architects, but of like labor conditions in general in the economy. Okay. Yep. And there's texts on architecture concerned about the issue of labor. Architecture understood as like a design. Right, right. So projects who are focused on labor as a pro- design problem, let's call it that. Right. This right? is how you get the disciplinary content in there. Yes. The design projects. So obviously the, um, obviously the, um, the fact that the difference between these labor in these three, I'm just going to say that's polarized between two understandings of how labor intersects with architecture, right? Uh, with, with one of these types of texts in the middle. The, um, yeah, the notion of architects are workers who are doing labor and architecture can do labor as architecture. And the, the whole thing being a sort of a blurry space yeah uh is obviously part of the problem and it is reproduced in the way the the issue is organized so that's that's a problem right uh i guess my 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 take would be that probably would we should start going through the text at first talk about architectural architecture workers mm-hmm. moving to like architecture being determined by political, economic, labor exploitation contexts. And third, finish with dumb stuff, which is architectural designed, <laughs> design <laughs> focused on labor, right? Right, right. Yeah, my, my thinking on this is that the texts that I covered um, fall into the first two categories. Um, and it's more interesting, the first, I have more to say about the first category. Yeah. Uh, and generally, the situation is like a pretty good text overall with a few mm-hmm. sneaky moments yeah. trying to, to bring back in yeah. uh, disciplinary autonomy through the back door. That's yes, kind of yes, the, yes. The yes. general thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which is basically what you see in it's the best. 100% of decent 
exactly yeah. it's, it's the best possible scenario yeah. Yeah. yeah outside of like a literal uh discussion by union organizers yes. which is one of the main in, in fact possibly the main problem of the issue in general it doesn't actually have labor organizers writing that's true the um the issue on labor is academics and intellectuals writing about labor and it yeah. doesn't have labor organizers writing about labor, which is why <laughs> right, the right. issue of disciplinary autonomy is always kind of try, it's always systematically trying to be inserted through the back door, as you said. Yeah. It probably should, if, especially because they are the, the concrete attempts to organize architectural labor are literally uh, enumerated in mm -hmm. the, the keynote article. I never heard of the notion of a keynote article. Maybe it's more normal than I thought, but there's like a, a sort of introductory article text. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's an editorial written by someone who's not an editor. Sure. It seems yeah. to me. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, and it focuses on architecture, labor, first category. And it enumerates the organizations that have been pro propping up. And it's a shame that none of them were contacted or like, invited or wrote. Maybe they were, I don't know, but there's no texts here from them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this keynote is called Together We Build, Organizing Architectural Labor, written by Jess Myers. So we, we both read this one. Yeah. To, I think... It begins the same way a few things I've read recently begin. Mm. Uh, it begins basically with uh, a critical foil in the form of the fountainhead. Yes. Uh, the same gesture is made by Keller Easterling in Medium Design, I think, mm -hmm. or in the activist entrepreneur, I can't remember, one of her uh, texts setting up an argument different from this, but parallel in some ways, uh, is referenced in the editorial that begins Architects After Architecture, mm -hmm. which we've discussed before. Mm -hmm. um, it's basically a fairly easy target. Yeah. Uh, it's the lowest of low-hanging fruits in terms yeah, of as how like, architecture is perceived. Yeah, like a toxic idea of the architects, yes. basically. Yeah. Toxic in like multiple senses, not yes. just in labor terms, but yep. like general political terms. Yeah. Um, and then pivots to the, as the title of the piece, Building Together suggests, pivots towards like the collective nature of architectural production. Yeah. Um, Together We Build, that's the title, sorry. Uh, and then from this point, which to me is still in this vague, I can't tell quite if we're going to be talking mm -hmm. about labor organizing or not, mm -hmm. or whether we're going to go in the direction that the other these other texts I mentioned go, which is like reconceiving interdisciplinary mediation. Yeah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Whatever. Uh, but it pretty quickly goes into like enumerating uh, recent labor organizing activities in mm -hmm. architecture. Shop Architects in New York, uh, Saw UVW in Britain, um, MTA and Sintark in Portugal are mentioned in there, close to our hearts, obviously. Mm. Uh, so that's that's actually quite strong. Um, the, the, the text is pretty... Uh, I was surprised halfway through as I was going through it. Okay, so it's not going to go well. 
You were, you were negatively surprised. I was, no, I was positively surprised. I was not expecting it to go well from reading the beginning. Okay. And yeah. then I moved on it. The text became more ruthless. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it took a very clear, explicit, no, our, our architects are overwhelmingly workers. Yeah. Uh, their labor conditions are crucial. Uh, they, they increasingly identify themselves as such. And uh, this is uh, essentially the, the key uh, production dynamics that determine how uh, the profession operates, and they need to be central. Yeah, for me, the I mean, for me, this this text is is great, and people should read it. Yeah. Um, the The tricky point comes uh, about halfway through, where uh, our old. Uh, nemesis the imagination yes comes in a little bit uh i can read the the passage maybe Mm -hmm. in feminist theorist kathy week's 2011 book the problem with work she writes quote while remaining grounded in concrete possibilities the demand has to be enough of a game changer to be able to provide an expansive perspective to animate the possibility of living differently for weeks, the demand is a creative tool, expansive enough, precise enough. It can create space in the mind for the possibility of other ways of being. The demand for the eight-hour workday, waged housework, land back, defunded police, all become platforms from which we can imagine worlds wherein those demands are met. To make a demand that shifts the sector is an act of speculative professionalism. Uh, and the passage goes on a bit, but I'll stop there. I think... There's there's nothing wrong in in the abstract. Yeah, the, with the, that argument, the problem is that the idea of imagining a different world is specifically the disciplinary problem. content at stake yes. in architecture. Yeah, if this wasn't about architecture uh, work, yeah, if it was a text about organizing labor in general for yeah. everybody, it yeah. would, I would not be concerned when I read this, when I would read this paragraph. <laughs> Yeah, and probably I mean, these, I'm not familiar with the original. But many of these terms are kind of poisoned. I'm not I'm not familiar yeah. with the original book, but it's yeah. probably it's not about architecture. Yes. I assume. So yes, this is just about the the ambiguity that arises citing this kind of political theory yeah. in an architectural context. Yeah, and even that phrase speculative professionalism I think yes. is extremely ambiguous. Yes, I think connected to this, we could take a different one that goes in a slightly more obscure direction. Hmm but kind of focuses still on the position of labor in the architectural office. Mm -hmm. And that's this uh, text, Right to Refuse, Bartleby the Scrivener, Mm -hmm. uh, by Christina Rapaki. Have you read Bartleby the Scrivener by Herman Melville? No. It's kind of a proto-existentialist story. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's fairly close to maybe direct, maybe influenced Kafka. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about, the full title is Bartleby the Scrivener, A Story of Wall Street, published in 1856. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes place in a law office and concerns the relationship between the, uh, the professional lawyer who's the employer and a scrivener he employs, which is basically a, a copier who in those days would be employed just doing rote copying of documents. Right. But what, what happens between the two is that uh, Bartleby, this new scrivener employed in the firm, 
begins as a diligent worker and then slowly becomes more and more kind of melancholy, begins staring out the window uh, at a blank brick wall across an alley, eventually begins to cease to work entirely. And when asked by the employer, who's the narrator, uh, if he, you know, why he's not scrivening, mm-hmm. he says the famous phrase, I would prefer not to. Okay. So you've probably heard this phrase, I would prefer not to. Slavoj Žižek wore a t-shirt with it on it. It was in, featured in some some philosophy stuff. The article covers some of this history, covers like uh, Melville's revival in the early 20th century that Melville's story became the subject of work by Deleuze and uh, Giorgio Agamben, uh, Slavoj Žižek, etc. But then it says, more recently, it is the architectural community, especially the more academically minded parts of it, that has embraced Bartleby. In a 2007 edition of El País, Spanish architect Iñaki Abalos ventured that the character represents the most compelling evocation of sustainability's aesthetic dimension, while a 2017 lecture series organized by Peter Swinnon at ETH Zurich took I Prefer Not To as its prompt to consider what architects ought not to do and included Anne Lacaton and Arno Brandeluber on its list of speakers. In London, Bartleby haunted the Architectural Association's 2021-2022 prospectus where several unit briefs made mention of him, apparently independently of each other. (laughs) What to make of this? Uh, The article asks. Did you notice this? I think I noticed, I don't know if I noticed multiple appearances of Bartleby, but I've definitely heard Bartleby references from the Pierre Vittorio Aurelli Mm -hmm. uh, section of the AA, Mm -hmm. basically. And this article includes an image from Dogma, which is kind of like representing Bartleby's office as uh, like architectural workers' dorm room. Okay. Basically. Um, And the article emphasizes the spatial qualities, like the descriptions of the office, the fact that the window is onto a dead wall in an alley, uh, the kind of like uh, cell space Mm -hmm. of the office and it's, uh, kind of existence minimum vibe as the story, as the original story goes on, uh, the office moves to a new building. Bartleby remains in the old building, refusing to move, saying he'd prefer not to eventually he's arrested and imprisoned by the police as a vagrant. Mm -hmm. Uh, and when they try to feed him, he says he'd prefer not to, and he starves to death. Okay. (laughs) So what do you, my question is, what do you I don't do like the story. No, exactly. <laughs> I don't like it either. I'm totally sus, I, I'm completely suspicious. I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to read Melville now. I never oh, read you, Melville, but I don't want to read. Oh, Moby Dick no. is excellent. No, I read Moby Dick. Of course I read okay. Moby Dick. Okay. Of course I read Moby Dick. Good. I forgot Moby Dick <laughs> existed. Good. But Anglo literature is not very spread around in, in Portugal. Hmm. At least not in my generation. Unless it has a, a serious maritime uh, theme. A serious maritime <laughs> component. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been skeptical of this Bartleby meme um, appearance in kind of a left, liberal left. I think there's, there's, there's a bunch of different things to say about this. 
the first one is that it's an individual act of quasi-defiance. There's no image of organized labor mm -hmm. here. There's no idea of like class activity yeah. here. Uh, the other one is that it it functions as a play on the sympathy of the employer with the employee. Yeah. So it's like one individual worker making an appeal to the hu common humanity with the employer. So it yeah. rests on this kind of, I mean, it's kind of, I'd connect it. It's like kind of the flip side of the contemporary focus on care as a category, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm, we can talk about that another time. I think that's, a, mm -hmm. that's, a, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's another issue. Um, it, it assumes that there isn't like a, a stark material contradiction between the interests of both parties yeah, and kind of a kind of naive appeal to an ethical uh, yeah. overcoming. This is a particularly good example of that because for an employer to afford not like to care about uh, an employee who is not wanting to work, not producing, means that the employer... It's not about the employer being a nice employer. It's about the employer having the profit mar sufficiently high profit margin that they are capable of abdicating from mm -hmm. the that which was supposed to be being produced by that worker <laughs> for right. an extended period of time. <laughs> yeah. That the company doesn't go under. But the main the main line on this is that this it's significant that this article points out that Bartleby came Bartle, Bartleby became a fixation for uh, academic mm. architectural discourse because to me this cuts right to that split between academic work and professional work right it's basically academics saying they would prefer not to be professional architects they yes. would prefer to be to be academic to be workers. free intellectuals and they're not refusing academic work yeah in fact they just put bartleby in their academic work yes. that's the solution yes uh so it cuts to exactly this uh contradiction in architecture but because the they need to they they advance the the notion that they do academic work as opposed to professional work because academic work is not really work yeah what they're effectively doing is sabotaging the notion of labor organizing in academia yeah that there are yeah. they are academic workers they're not academic they're not framing themselves as workers right but as right. free intellectuals who are free of work yeah yeah exactly which is a, an ideology that reproduces a material reality, which is that tendentially academic, uh, the academics that run academia and the run the labor relations in academia don't really depend on their academic salary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And academia, and they maintain academia as a, a space of economic privilege. Right. Yeah, and that's another basic point is that. Uh, all workers would prefer not to, but they have to yes. in order to survive. That's why they are workers. <laughs> yeah. Like I would prefer not to work. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and it also it also comes to this, this the like the individual philosophers like right to abdicate from society. Right. Like I would prefer not to contribute to society. Right. Which I don't think that the individual has any right to. Yeah. Uh, to do basically this is also a difference between the revolutionary and radical position yeah the radical position as the kind of um idealist avant-garde position yeah essentially think yeah the, the the critique of work which is a a theoretical 
string going around in um, in um, left intellectuality in the first world, right? The critique of work as being this kind of social imposition on the individual and part of an ideological outlook. If, like, I mean, so sometimes it's a bit more materialist in the sense of automation is making work uh, unnecessary. So mm -hmm. at least it takes into consideration that actual material production is actually necessary. <laughs> you can't get away from it. But often you just see the whole thing as this kind of like vague. Yeah. Uh, as if like people only work. Like when in the Bible, in Genesis, when God kicks out uh, Adam and Eve and punishes Adam um, for their sins as uh, you shall eat, I don't sorry, know how to say this in, in English, uh, you, like, you shall eat the bread from the sweat of, on your face. Yeah. Something like that. Your That's, brow. Yeah. Yeah. Or, your, yeah. Um, or in other words, God invents labor, right? Like no longer will you just pick bananas from the, the tree. Right. You, you now will have to work in order to survive. From here on, Marx is right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is not an ideological imposition God is placing on, on, on Adam. This is a material imposition God is placing on Adam. It, 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 we, people don't work because they were convinced by being brainwashed. They weren't, brain, they weren't brainwashed by the Bible that they have to. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah, just yeah. have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, the Bible just expresses that relationship. This doesn't mean that we, we don't support like resistance against exploitative yeah. drudgery. Yeah. But the, the idea of individual refusal as such is yes. not, is not yes. a good one. Yes, yes. I mean, it reminds me of a debate I saw in some like uh, comments on something like, I don't know if it was Twitter or on YouTube video or something where an anarchist was debating with uh, a communist of some kind mm -hmm. saying that after the revolution, like, will I be told what to do in society or can I like, actually they, they set out like a, a, a thought experiment, a mm -hmm. hypothetical. I'm good at engineering but I would rather be a musician mm -hmm. after the revolution. Will I have to be an engineer or can I be a musician? Mm -hmm. Cause if I have to be an engineer, then I don't want any part in the revolution. Yeah. Okay. And I was thinking, and most people I think in that space were thinking, uh, you will have to be an engineer. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but, but after the revolution, you will have a labor day of five hours so you can be a position the other t the rest that's of right. the time. That's a, that's a nice, uh, nice compromise <laughs> way to put it. <laughs> if you're good at being a musician, you couldn't, you, there's also the chance that you may actually be a musician because mu music will be funded by the state. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's, that's a good the, example of why the petit bourgeois uh, individualist uh, individual prefers neoliberal capitalism to socialism <laughs> because yeah. it can be a musician. Yeah, yeah. As long as long as certain PMC jobs have this carved out space of relative autonomy, yeah, uh, they would prefer not to do a revolution. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay. 
What's next? What's next? I think this, this, this goes nicely into the next text I want to talk about, moving into the second category. Um, there being labor in society in general and architecture happening also in society in general, and therefore they're be being conditioned by that fact. Right, right. <laughs> um, so the text is called Redefining the Brazilian Company Town by uh, Andres Arushka de Souza Santos. I assume is Brazilian. Um, it's an interesting and pretty nice text. Uh, it barely mentions architecture at all. Architecture only appears at the end. Um, it's about uh, a mining town in Brazil. Uh, it, it, most of the, uh, the, the of the text is just a history of this mining town, hmm. uh, which is started as a, as a colony. Uh, it functions as a company town. Um, to control like slave labor into wage labor over time. Okay. Um, and um, it's the usual story of colonialism in the Americas. But the um, the interesting section uh, is towards the end uh, in the contemporary moment. The, in the contemporary moment. Uh, there's a series of uh, important transformations uh, going on to a significant extent, even though it no longer strictly functions as a company town, th these are no longer like even legal. Um, it de facto still has a lot of these elements as the uh, mining company is by far the largest taxpayer in the municipality. It basically owns city hall. Hmm. Well, on, on the basis of that, even though so, even though political management of the territory is independent of economic power, in, if, in effect, for informal terms, in effect, it is not really, uh, and the local working class has very little capacity to mold their own conditions. Um, this is compounded by the processes of uh, automation, industrialization of production, and etc. So uh, the text uh, mentions that, um, like the the town in 1996 had more than 3,000 residents. Today, it has less than 100. Hmm. Um, due to just, like, most of the work is uh, replaced. Like, the inc a dramatic increase in labor productivity means an local unemployment, which means population goes away. Right. right. It's kicked out, can't afford their homes, no longer lives in the area, so the, the, the town effectively is dead, even though those less than 100 workers are still needed. Right. Um, so the co the mining company wanted to expand its activities and get some mining license like, on top of what it already had. And uh, in order to do that, it had to um, offer something back. So it's a part of the negotiations to getting the, the license. It had to basically offer something back to the community in exchange. And this was negotiated with City Hall, right? What did it decide to, what, what was the range that the um, mining company would offer back to the community? Quote, the company proposed investing in Miguel Bournier, is the name of the company town, of the town, uh, in Miguel Bournier's cultural heritage, mm. preserving the legacies of previous mining activity in that area that had generated a train station, churches, and houses of architectural value. 
So architecture appears as cultural value, heritage value. Right. In the, specifically in the context of what is the mining company giving back to the community. This was undermined by the fact that uh, the Gerdau, the mining company's operations, would generate no urban life. In fact, it would actively remove residents and turn the area into an industrial heritage site, restoring a train station when there were no more trains in the area or residents to travel, buying computers for a school that had no internet access and was soon to be shut down given the lack of school-aged children, offering a coat of fresh paint on houses when most residents were being bought out. All of these proposals were flagrant absurdities that the Miguel Bernier community leader, Paulinho, the leader of the local workers, mm -hmm. residents, brought up for discussion with Gardau, the company. Uh, residents wanted jobs and the life in their village back, a football team, a working health center, repopulation, yep. which is exactly the opposite of what the company wanted. So, by the way, it, so in this case, it was the company who would prefer that the workers do not work. <laughs> right. The workers wanted to work. They would very much rather prefer to work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the company's like, we can offer you architecture. We'll offer you architecture <laughs> in exchange, which is not even going to be for you because you're going to go away. Yeah. Of, of course, what the company is here doing is we don't longer need the workers to be local. They can just drive from local villages. What we're going to do is turn the whole thing into a tourist center as well. We're yeah. going to have a tourist exploitation on yeah. top of the mining exploitation. Right. Right, um, and we're going to ru ruin, the, like, completely obliterate the local population, and and this is where architecture comes in. <laughs> <laughs> this is where architecture becomes important. Yeah, yeah. The, the concept of architecture is introduced into this village <laughs> at this point for this purpose, right? So um, this is essentially the point that the the text is making. Um, nice. It's uh, like architecture appears specifically as an articulator of the opposite of the material interests of the working class. Right. Uh, in a moment when capital would prefer the workers not to work. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, another story I heard from a student years ago. Um, it was a scissor factory in, I want to say, Finland. Mm-hmm. Um, that was basically managing its own gentrification. Mm -hmm. It's like deindustrial gentrification done by an industrial company mm -hmm. uh, in the process of, uh, yeah, cutting labor costs, mm -hmm. basically um, throwing workers out of work because of automation mm -hmm. and things like that. But the industrial company is still in the town. It's still a company town of the scissor right. factory. Right. But they're turning like their old you know, warehouse into like artist lofts. Of course. But they stay in the town and they're still producing in the town. It just doesn't employ anybody yes. from the town. Yeah. Uh, so you get this cap capital switching within the same, like from the same industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. I mean, so it's, this is terrible, obviously. But this is a, a, an excellent little text. Um, next one mm. within the same category. By Ellen Pearson, workers overhead, the risks taken by on-site workers are undervalued. Okay. This is about construction workers. Cool. It's not very good. Oh. It's like 50-50. 50% is good. Is architecture is done as, I mean, obviously, it's not architecture. It's buildings are done by more than just architects. Like it starts evoking the beauty of uh, La Tourette, 
uh, and like those those little <laughs> windows, like uh, Corb just like drew a square where they were going to be, but like workers were shaping them. Okay, like, they would not exist without the construction workers, right? All right, it's just fine. Yes, uh, construction is a social uh, production uh, that involves a lot of people. Yeah, and I think I mean there's space for you know obviously workers taking pride in their in their in their product, and they do often, and the recognition of yeah. that by by people who were yeah. producing it. Yeah, yeah, they often do. Uh, it's not it's not just architects who. Yeah. feel that in the neoliberal uh, economic framework that we have today, they are not allowed to be as good as they could be. Right. Like, we remember, like, even next door, like, near near your place, at some time, like, a month ago, we were walking by, and they're building a, a new... Yeah, yeah, a new, fl- new, a new flat. Condo building, condo basically. Building near, yeah. Just next door, basically. There was, like, an... And old... we, were, we, talked, we were talking with a construction worker there. Yeah. And he yeah. was saying, this is all garbage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the technical, the shoddy, shoddy construction all around, like the, it, uh, the pride of the construction worker saying, I, I'm not being allowed to be good yeah. in this job. I renounce, I renounce this. Yes, as, as, this is a garbage yeah. building that yeah. I'm making. Terrible, yeah. technically terrible. <laughs> yeah, we were looking at it because it's an extremely strange yeah. uh, building that I now understand as a kind of, relatively idiosyncratic version of new London vernacular brick, mm. brick, yep. you know, rationalism. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think the guy thought we were interested in buying. Yeah. Unit. I guess we were two white right dudes just, who looked vaguely middle class. And he just like, he started up the conversation with us basically like, like telling us not to go anywhere yes, near the project. Exactly. Do not buy anything <laughs> here. That was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. No, we are not in the, new build by purchasing market. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the text essentially is making this point, but then then it manages to find a way of putting the architect... It, it's, it is about the architect's role as a manager of workers, of other workers. Okay. And so the architect should be have a humane approach to how they design the building because... And this is... I think true to a, to an extent, the construction workers that will build the building are in fact the first users of the building. Mm. Like you design a design, the first users of your design are the people who are building it. Right. And so the working conditions of that, those people should be included, incorporated into the design. Okay. Okay. Fine. I mean, to an extent. Um. But it's fairly problematic, the text. It goes through explaining what Taylorism is. Okay. And essentially denouncing it as bad. All right. As in, like, rational management was this kind of uh, capitalist... Uh, it, it's a, a sort of capitalist utopian uh, notion that doesn't yeah. really work. Right. Uh, it even, like, specifically... I had never seen this point made before, that uh, Taylor, Taylor actually was basically a hack. <laughs> Taylor uh, the the concrete studies that he did were were all falsified basically oh wow of of how the production line operated right Um, I've never made they were falsified by what scientific management (laughs) like he he excluded data that didn't match his preferred conclusions no I mean who what studies falsified his studies 
probably other ah, scientific right. approaches to management. Possibly, <laughs> possibly. Then it it uh, goes into the the guy who followed Taylor in the, in Taylor's old job, uh, Henry Gant, who okay. also gave a name to uh, the um, the Gant chart, which is uh, basically just a timetable of tasks, timetabling tasks okay. that people do, and it just like goes through these. What seems like aggressively obvious managerial tasks as being somewhat somehow inherently problematic and capitalist. Hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, our position is that there's nothing inherently wrong with scientific management of production uh, or, or like rational management of production. The problem is a political problem. Yeah, it's who controls decision making <laughs> in, yeah. in, in acting on in acting on that data. Yeah, and then. Uh, managing who make who makes the decisions workers or capitalists and this issue of separating like actual technical rationalization from from political control of workers yes is something that we're working on yes. right now yeah yeah. Uh, yeah yeah um yeah so from there it moves into what is presented as a kind of an alternative to this an alternative to taylorism is care actually caring about the workers yes and what is the example given of caring about workers in 1973 industrial action was strong on the building side okay the unlikely friendship between lifelong capitalist alistair macalpine and lifelong socialist cedric price <laughs> Made an even unlikelier management consultant of Price. Cedric Price, in 1973 apparently, was hired by his friend capitalist Alistair McAlpine to do a study, to produce a report on labor conditions on his construction sites. Okay, on McAlpine's. On McAlpine's construction sites. Right. Yeah, Cedric Price never had any construction sites. <laughs> <laughs> It's a quick study. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why he became a consultant. Yeah, and exactly. This is extremely funny. I mean, I, I don't doubt that this is a kind of a specific uh, product of the sort of welfare state ideology that continued to exist into the 70s. And this is like a, a sort of nice guy capitalist employer who, right. who has this sort of social democratic, I want my workers to be happy, that increases productivity. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and also they're happy. And I want yeah, relations in the workplace. Like this. And here's this kind of weirdo uh, architect, radical weirdo, uh, <laughs> yeah. who... I'm friends with because I'm also a cook, probably. And uh, no, cook is the other ones. Um, <laughs> cook with Zarki Graham. Um, and uh, I'm, I, yeah, like I'm going to pay you some money and you're going to do me a rep like talk, talk to my workers in construction site. You're an architect, so you should know some stuff about it and uh, give me a report about that and uh, how to implement some reforms in the workplace to make things more simultaneously more efficient and also the workers happier. And it's like the kind of stuff that comes up is uh, like efficiencies in economizations, new lunch menus, more comfortable clothing, nicer toilets, entertainment, PPE. What's PPE? Protective uh, gear. Is it protect? Okay. Yeah. 
I don't know some of the English yeah. things. I only know it because it was like the acronym and all the COVID related, mm. you know, supply chain and okay. getting enough masks okay. and this kind of stuff. Price drew and redrew organizational diagrams between the company, local governments, workers, and unions, looking deeply at how things were so that he could manage how they could be. <laughs> I mean, maybe this is fine. I don't know. But the, the, what I think is really funny here, apart from Cedric Price being a massive hack and completely generally disconnected from all of the bottom-up ideology that he was trying to bring into architecture top-down. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, maybe this was fine, this whole thing, and the outcome of this was okay at the scale of the company. I don't know. Both right. for workers and for the boss, uh, whatever. It's, but um, but the, the argue- obvious point is that Cedric Price is just Taylor. Like in this context, the, the, the article is saying Taylor isn't bad, but as long as Taylor, the manager, manager is an architect, Taylor isn't good. That's what, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. literally that's what, what the architect is saying. Because architects actually care. Right? Yes, because architecture yeah. is more human. Yeah. It's like a human vocation or whatever. Yeah. It is so dumb, uh, but quite funny of, of yeah. It's, it's basically like the more kind of idealistic, quote unquote, academic type architects should be employed by the corporate architects as like their go-between and ideological manager yes. of their workforce. Which is what they already are. Yeah, just not directly. Just not directly. They're not, yes. they're not paid by the, yeah, direct, by the not directly, yeah. corporate employer. They're yeah. just paid by academic institutions yeah. or, or not. <laughs> they're paid by academic institutions who are paid by corporate employers in one way yeah. or another. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this was pretty funny. Well, the the last article maybe that falls in this... Oh, I just wanted to say, on this point of construction work, um, in the... I'm not going to go into detail, but there's there are reviews by George Kafka of two books, Material Reform and The Value of a Whale. Both these books have a kind of an angle. They both sound pretty interesting, kind of a materialist connecting materialism in the political economic sense to like sustainability and material questions. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of using material as a metaphor to cross Mm -hmm. those. And Kafka quotes from material reform. uh, And this quote is used by the editors of AR in the editor's introduction to the Mm -hmm. whole thing. Uh, Kafka says one of the reforms proposed by material reform um, is for every building to be reconceived as the totality of the materials and labor that are necessary for its existence from sites of extraction to sites of disposal post-demolition. And then there's a pull quote out here. It is critical to understand architects as workers in solidarity with other actors in the expanded conception of the building, those who work on building sites in fields and factories who maintain existing buildings or who might dismantle and reuse building materials. Mm-hmm. I think there's nothing in principle wrong with this, particularly the second framing around solidarity. Mm-hmm. But the tendency, again, via the back door, is basically in expanding what's conceived as the building. You're basically expanding the disciplinary mandate of architecture yeah. to manage these other parts of the yes. of the building's production yeah. Yeah. in exactly the way that you highlighted in that text. Yeah. The architect as like management consultant. Yeah. 
So, I mean, the tendency is, is just consistently to transition from labor solidarity into a job disciplinary... Manage PMC job opportunities. Exactly, exactly. Through some kind of disciplinary boundary work that expands what architects get to say they have yes. agency over, yes. basically. Yeah. It's never... It's framed as like we're giving up some of our control, but it's, it's a dialectical yeah. process, which is all about having more control. control. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So in the in the second category, architecture and the contents in the context of like labor in society, uh, there's a good article uh, by Kyle T. Mays called Detroit in Motion, Labor and Displacement, mm -hmm. which goes through the contemporary gentrification of Detroit. It talks about the history, industrial history of Detroit, the racial dynamics the colonial dynamics in Detroit, uh, both in terms of like uh, earlier history and the contemporary colonial parallels of gentrification. Mm -hmm. It has a very nice Diego Rivera mural as the lead image, mm -hmm. which is a mural in Detroit mm -hmm. that Rivera did in the 30s. Uh, it talks about how uh, a piece of the mural was actually used in an advertisement trying to draw uh, white collar and white, basically, workers to Detroit from uh, Brooklyn. Mm. So it says, since 2013, when the city of Detroit filed for bankruptcy, private interests have recruited new, young, and mostly white professionals to offset years of population decline. In 2015, billboards went up in major cities on the east and west coasts of the coasts of the U.S., encouraging creatives to come to Detroit. Perhaps the most famous was the Just West of Bushwick billboard posted around Brooklyn in 2015, paying homage to the great Mexican artist and communist Diego Rivera, whose mural in Detroit celebrates the city's radicalism and critiques the capitalist class for exploiting workers. So this, this billboard basically took a segment of the Rivera mural of workers working on a, on a like pushing a trolley on, as part of the assembly mm -hmm. line and put it up with the just west of Bushwick, basically trying to draw people out of the, you know, hipster gentr gentrifying capital of mm -hmm. the world, basically, mm -hmm. to Detroit, which is significantly west, but whatever. Yeah. And the author, uh, Mays, points out how this is like an obvious repetition of the kind of manifest destiny westward expansion right. of the pioneers historically. Uh, so the colonial to gentrifying parallels are super strong and really well articulated here. Mm. Um, so definitely recommend this, uh, this one. Cool. But this maybe will transition us into the architectural examples yeah. in the text where I, th I have a feeling gentrification and this specific fetishization of the industrial past mm -hmm. as part of a post-industrial present right. is going to return, right? May or may not <laughs> return. I looked at three... Uh, I didn't go through all of them. I looked at three examples. Three texts on design for work, basically. Uh, which are the three that were mentioned in the... Uh, I just went with the three that were mentioned in the um, editorial. Right. The editorial is kind of all right because like, it starts with architecture for work and then 
in the in a, it gives three examples, and then in a, in a fourth example, which is about Mexico, it mentions that the point of the text is that as part of the architecture for work uh, trend, actually architectural workers are being forgotten and exploited, hmm. and uses that to transition to a final paragraph, which is about well, architecture architects are workers themselves. So, like. Yeah. The fact that it does this does it in this order instead of the other one is yeah, pretty nice. Like you, good, you would usually yeah. see the, like architects as workers and then backdoor action and yeah. then therefore architects must design work. Right. And in this it, the editorial does the exact opposite. Yeah, yeah. That's the gesture, polemical. Which is quite interesting. Yeah, it's sequence I'm, that we always use. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm yeah. quite happy about, about nice. that. Yeah, so the um the editorial mentions three examples of architecture for work and uh, the editorial describes them as thusly. The architect is in the unique and privileged position of being able to shape the working environments of others, like Taylor, from reinventing post-industrial landscapes into spaces for the creative industries in Greenwich mm -hmm. <laughs> to crafting textile workshops in Bani Jamra, which we'll go into that later, to designing production facilities for ethical fashion mm. in a coos. Okay. <laughs> Yet, as seen in new community centers in Mexico City that transform economically inactive sections of the population due to productive assets for the country's economy, this last Ambiguous. bit is, this last bit is, um, an, is, is a quote. Okay. Architects themselves are often exploited. Right. So that's the paragraph. So the uh, so it's actually four examples. The um, first one is obvious. What's going on, right? The Greenwich. The Greenwich yeah, one. Like, Post-industrial one. The notion that architecture that cares about workers and working conditions is expressed through an obvious gentrification hub in the middle of Greenwich um, for creative industries because creative industries are labor, right? It's paradigmatic. And, but I, it's worse than that because the, this is a little complex that has, is divided into little lots and each lot is given to a different architecture. So it's, it's, it's a, it, this Oof. is a paradigmatic like, shelf with architectural objects on it, yeah. each by their, their own like, designer brand. And but each brand is branded as like caring about labor in this case, or at least that's what AR is objectively doing to it. It's functioning as a, right. a PR marketing tool for what is obviously a gentrification thing. Uh, uh, yeah, and like it just goes through, as you see, it's a little, a little square next to the Millennium Dome with lots of build, little buildings. Each one of them is like a workshop of some kind. That's already a pretty upscale area, I think. Now that's yeah. that's already yeah. been gentrified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's it, it's preposterous. Like, enveloped by a landscape of London's financialized economy, the Greenwich Design District offers us an unlikely space for displaced creative industries. What do you mean unlikely? This is there's no contradiction. This is exactly how it works. Yeah, creative industries are always uh, a part of of financialized of the financialized real estate economy. Yeah, it, they increase the the like they, they sell luxury uh, craftsmanship, 
that uh, that is uh, by its nature of, of of the commodities it's selling and of the twee uh, niche aspect of its economy function as a uh, inflator of property it, values. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's just the how contradiction it works. is between finance and productive yes. industries, not creative industries. Yes. <laughs> I, I I still don't understand how like this is so aggressively and understood widely understood nowadays yeah. yeah i still don't understand i don't understand how these can just be put here just like that i don't know what they mean by displaced creative industries like i also there, don't there were know graphic designers and architecture firms there that were displaced i also don't know it was like an ad company that was like you know pushed out from high rents what was displaced was productive the productive economy that used to exist in this yeah. part of town yeah that was displaced as indeed the text describes. So this is a design district that opened in 2020. It's called the design district. <laughs> opened in 2020. It has attracted several makers. Ooh, makers. Including bike bag manufacturer, Wizard Works. All right. <laughs> bike bags. That's at least a, a, a commodity of some kind, even though it's... A bike bag. Even though it's a gender bought exclusively by... Uh... Bike bag manufacturer Wizard Works. Yeah. Shouldn't Wizard Works be doing like broom bag manufacturer? That's Witch Works. Mm. 3D printers champion 3D. Another yeah. working class business. Uh -huh. <laughs> the, 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 the site is currently home to more than 60 different small businesses. And nearly two-thirds of the rentable space is occupied from small studios, to, so one-third is not. Businesses and freelancers can also hire desks in the various co-working spaces. This is one of the least accessible places, like, in southeast London. Yes. Like, you would never go here. No. As a no. struggling, independent, white-collar consultant <laughs> for a desk. Anyway, I mean, there's, there's nothing to be said about it. It is obvious what it, the, the yeah. fact that this is presented as an architecture that cares about labor, like labor architecture is preposterous. Yeah, no kidding. But it does show where, where, where it goes. Anyway, let's not spend any more time on that one. Um, it's just like a, the, the text just lists a series of um, architectures, architecturally like jewelry objects, uh, each one trying to do a twee interior as in a different way um yeah so the other two are a um craft workshop in bahrain okay which um is bare but still slightly problematic as in apparently as you would expect traditional uh craftsmanship like self-employed small craftsmen Makers. Makers. Um, has been in decline in Bahrain, as it's been everywhere else, because <laughs> industrial production is cheaper. Yeah. So it has transitioned. The, its market has sh uh, shrunk. From general use to... And it has transitioned into a tourist. kind of a luxury pro product for okay. tourist consumption, mostly. But interestingly, what this describes, the text, is that in uh, Bahrain, it's state-subsidized. Hmm. So the government... 
has uh, found uh, has started setting up like like more like larger scale warehousey spaces um, modeled after shopping malls where it uh, provides shop spaces for traditional craftsmen and it uh, buys their product. It, they, it functions both for like, like a tourist hub for people to go and buy it, but it, but the government, the state buys uh, stuff from them and effectively, effectively end up functioning as uh, government workers. Hmm. Um, and this, that's, that's an interesting development. Yeah. However, that is exactly the thing that the article and the architecture is critiquing. <laughs> <laughs> So the architecture that seems to be doing. <laughs> so this is the architecture that frees them of this government work exactly. and turns them back into petit bourgeois. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. The state subsidy to this kind of activity is shifting into what are the now the tastes trend in these kinds of markets, which are more hipster and therefore needs to be less. Uh, the tourists don't want to go to the mall to buy the, all every, all the thing at one. They want to they want to flanner around the streets and find them. Yeah, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. They want a, a an artificial recreation of the economic conditions of the bygone era. Right, and, and the architecture what, will provide added value to the product. Exactly. In this context. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what what we're talking about. Makes sense. Um, the other example is an ethical fashion. Uh, Facility in a coos. I didn't even check this one. Just the reading ethical fashion put me off, and I don't. Didn't Fair wanna, enough. Didn't want to yeah. check it. <laughs> uh, so I just checked the Mexico City fourth okay. example, which is the one that transitions into exploited architectural labor. And uh, this is fine. This is uh, the text is interesting. It's about uh, uh, Amlo's uh, Manuel López Obrador's uh, government investment in producing uh, local Soviet clubs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like local social clubs of a new, like workers clubs of a new social type, as it were, <laughs> basically. <laughs> okay. Um, so there's kind of an investment in doing that, but the budget is tight. And so uh, it relies on uh, voluntary labor here and there. And specifically architectural offices hired to do this uh, tend to have very cheap labor. So that, that's basically it. That's what the text says, uh, that the programs are fine. The, the, this kind of investment is good. It's good that this is happening. It's part of the, of, of, of the like, center-left, moderate-left, social democratic, AMLO governments uh, mm -hmm. it, things that they are doing that are okay. But, um, but it doesn't really address and, in fact, may contradictorily or dialectically tend to reinforce uh, uh, devaluing of labor uh, macroeconomic trends and okay. as expressed in architectural labor. It gives several very nice architectural objects that have a seemingly nice social program. Right. Uh, yeah, but there's this dialectical twist that uh, we need to keep in mind of. There's a contradiction. Yeah, there's a yeah. contradiction. Good. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's to totally fine. I, I like this text quite a, quite a bit. And it uh, brings us back to the key message point. <laughs> yeah. Even when there's some good stuff happening, there's a, yeah, it shows this, uh, this problem, this right. contradiction. Right. Well, there's one other text we wanted to talk about briefly, which is Owen Hatherley's... Mm, we're finishing um, with that one. Just yeah, let's finish with that. It's called Reputations, Karl Marx... Uh, 
by Owen Hatherley. I want to begin by asking, did you read the name Marx in any other articles? No. One, there's one interview with a Brazilian old-timey 1960s architects that okay. where they talk about Marx as an important influence, like socialist Brazilian architects of the Nibiru okay. era. I don't, I don't think I encountered Marx no. anywhere else. And there was one article, we're not going to talk about, work.com, digi- Digital Labor and Its Discontents, which mm. references Benjamin in an extremely awkward way mm-hmm. instead of Marx when it's clear that it should be the, the, the author even paraphrases Marx, but sort of attributes the the, the, co- the point to Benjamin, okay, in a weird way. And then, yeah, the, I mean, this article brought out the like that's also really weird teacher I, in me. Like, I need I'm, I'm, I'm I was like writing feedback on <laughs> referencing, and <laughs> but that's also really weird because there was a time when you weren't allowed to quote Marx, and Benjamin was the yeah like. No, it's strange. It's strange that bad Marx, substitute. Yeah. Nowadays, yeah. it's just like quoting Marx in your uh, yeah liberal lefty take uh, in academia and intellectual production is one hundred percent normal. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, so normal that we would prefer people would stop. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Unless they're gonna go be consistent with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it seems to me that Hatherley's text is basically carrying the full burden of representing Marx in the issue. Right. Uh, and not doing a very good job. And not doing a particularly good job. No, I, I must say, I quite like Owen Hatherley. Yeah, me too. This is the first thing I've read by Owen Hatherley. Owen Hatherley is more, like, obviously, uh, journalistic-y than uh, serious uh, architecture, history, theory. But that's, like, his main advantage. And right. he does a very good job doing exactly what he does, generally. Mm-hmm. Um, I have never... This is by far the thing I've read by Owen Hatherley that I liked the least. Hmm. I never liked something written by him so little. <laughs> I, I guess the one of the points that comes out is that it seems to be all about kind of laundering Marx's reputation... Yeah. So it begins with the premise that Marx is a problematic figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that even though people are rightfully distrustful of Marx, mm-hmm. they should reconsider. So it's already starting out from a position of weakness, which is not even necessary. Nowadays. Which is not even necessary no. and, and is harmful. I, I I don't see what's the target readership for this text. Uh, yeah. it, it assumes an overall ideological field that I don't think is the one that actually exists in the in, yeah. the, in architecture anymore. Yeah. And part of that is trying to dissociate Marx from any kind of successful socialist politics. Yes. Like, Which is a typical... Don't objection. worry that you don't like socialism. Uh, Marx has nothing to do with socialism. Right. <laughs> yes. And then it has the classic uh, fixation on the early writings of Marx... Uh, yeah. where you can get as far as possible away from difficult political economy. The, the, the article has two fundamental focuses. The first is, as you say, separation from, like, this is what Marx isn't. Right. It's the first part of the, the first half of the article. And he isn't Russian. And he isn't Russian <laughs> is the main topic, yes. 
it basically starts. It's like in the first paragraph. Like, yeah. it's okay to like Marx because, like you, he also hated Russia. <laughs> it's basically the first thing that yeah. that the text says. Yeah. Uh, sure, Marx tends to be associated with evil Soviet Union. Uh, but actually, he hated Russia, so it's okay. <laughs> actually, he was a he, good German, and he like all Germans, he was a good Aryan, uh, and he hated Slavs. <laughs> it's such a bizarre. It's just I, I don't even incredibly what, contemporary. Anyway, issue. He hated. You hate post-Soviet Russia, and socialism is associated with the Soviet Russia. But you, uh, Marxism is associated with Soviet Russia. But you can like Marx because he hated pre-Soviet Russia. <laughs> Yeah, that's literally what it says. Yeah, um, Russia is just this like transhistorical right. Asiatic enemy, basically yes. of the West. That Marx had his, his time rightfully viewed as this, a deeply reactionary yeah. obstacle to world revolution. Yeah, yeah, and and then it goes through Mar Marx as being uh, like going through. A series of stages and uh, like the, the work of Marx, sort of sh very short biography thing. Uh, the work of Marx in first uh, early period, late period. Into late, early period was rediscovered relatively late in the 20th century. Interestingly enough, he points at, uh, attention to the fact that early Marx was rediscovered late in the 20th century by way of being published in the Soviet Union mm -hmm. and then spreading to the West. Like it was the Soviet Union that started publishing early Marx texts that had been mostly forgotten. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, the second part of like, basically what is it that Marx says that we should pay attention to nowadays? And everything there is also wrong. Uh, I mean, it, it's not that it's what he says is wrong specifically. It's not positively wrong. It's negatively wrong in the sense that he doesn't talk about the stuff that is most important. And it, it is a typical problem of the kind of Marxology that focuses on early Marx instead of later Marx, which is it focuses on the on Marxist theory that revolves around the concept of alienation. And there's nothing wrong with talking about the concept of alienation in Marx. It's totally fine. We use it as well and blah, blah, blah. But it, use, you, what, it doesn't just talk about alienation. It uses alienation to replace the other concept that is developed later with Marxist political economy of exploitation. Yeah. It, this text does not talk about exploitation of labor. The key fundamental theoretical breakthrough of Marxism, it, it, a fundamental realization of the growing class consciousness of, architecture, of architects as workers, that this issue is focused on, and then the text on Marx doesn't mention exploitation. <laughs> Yeah, it mentions alienation only, and it mentions alienation even in a naive way, in the typical naive way of how alienation is perceived as also sort of not being about political economy, which it also is. It's yeah. alienation is not that the, the the producer is no longer like metaphysically connected to uh, the, the 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 product or that they do and expressing themselves in the product or blah blah blah. No, no, it's, it's that they don't have control over the productive process in general because uh, of the, yeah. the 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 process of capitalist integration of labor and industrial production. Like you could even talk about alienation in architectural labor uh, in a way that would connect to labor as an issue and of uh, with uh, and with unionization, but. That this is not it. This is for academics. No, and in, in the way we would talk about it, alienation is a part of the process by which architectural workers as PMC, part of the PMC strata, 
begin to gain consciousness. So right. fighting alienation, like rejecting alienation, trying to rediscover uh, like the vocational aspects of work right. is the wrong solution. Right. It's precisely not the Marxist exactly. solution. Uh, exactly. It is yeah. exactly the thing that marks the other socialisms, that Marx's socialism, scientific socialism, Marx and Engels' scientific socialism was opposed to and provided a, a, a structure and structural alternative to that had so, so, so much power in its, formula, in its explanatory formulation for, political, uh, for labor and political activity that it became the dominant framework. Mm -hmm. Then it has a section on uh, Marx Build, and ecology, like, which is fine. Right. Then it goes into like buildings associated with Marx. Yes. And which ones are good and which ones are bad. Right. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, and uh, that's, that's it. It's, 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 it's a bad text. Yeah. Especially Not measure, everything measured against bad, what it could be. Yeah, exactly. should be. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Pretty disappointed. But uh, overall... Overall, way issue. less disappointed than I was expecting. Yeah. yeah. Overall, a good issue. Some some good highlights in there. Yeah. So that's it for this week, mm -hmm. this month. Uh, we're going to be headed... Yeah, we don't know what the status of the next episode is. Yeah, we're we're headed out of town. <laughs> so we're going to have a, hopefully a, a special episode uh, with details soon. Yeah, we're, we're going to be away most of April. But we're going to try to deliver an episode. It, it'll probably have a different character, but it, it might be, a, yeah. it'll be extra fun, I think. <laughs> For us, it will be extra fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, in the meantime, uh, if you'd like to support our work, you can uh, become a patron at www.patreon.com slash streetsweeperpod. Mm -hmm. We love to take questions there and discuss them on the show. Yep. Uh, Half, like 50% of questions asked until now have become full episodes <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> there's one still in the on the agenda with this third world architecture right 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 yeah yeah see you next time next time bye bye